0: Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful
1: lens.
2: Here's your host, Jason Mariciello.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Higher Potential Living. On this episode, guest Jeff Hogan discusses with us a little bit about his separation and ultimately his divorce, but specifically about navigating this process with with children and what co-parenting has kind of been like and the journey to working through the adversities to be able to build a healthy co-parenting situation. Um, along this, we talk a little bit about uh, trial separations, um, cohabiting separations ways to navigate between differences of opinion parenting agreements all of this kind of stuff so hopefully uh, you get some information out of this I know I'm learning more about this world as it's not my uh, experience and not my life but definitely interesting about the way that we can relate when we come at it from a place of compassion and respect hope you enjoy Hello and welcome everyone once again. Today I'm joined by Jeff Hogan and we're going to be talking about, well we're going to be talking about a few things Jeff, but we're going to be getting into uh, some relationship stuff, maybe some things that seem pretty heavy to be talking about, which is kind of why we're talking about it because that's what we do here. And we'll be talking about separation, we'll be talking about co-parenting, we'll be talking about navigating some of those tricky waters with families, with children, all that kind of stuff. And you know i i reached out to you because you're a friend of a friend who's going through this and they definitely you know made it known to me that you were a fantastic person to have to reflect on these things with having your experiences and not to give any spoilers to what's to come but you're also one of the few people that um from my experience has what i would consider a, a very healthy relationship with your co-parent at this point in time but it wasn't necessarily always like that. I think that's what we're going to get into. So thank you very much, Jeff, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. One of the first areas, I guess, that we would we would start talking about as far as this goes is the first of many transitions is the one out of being in a relationship that you were in for. How long did you say Uh, 14 years? So you were in a relationship for 14 years. And you know, anyone who's been in a relationship, I think for any length of time, we all know that it goes through waves. We have ups, we have downs, we have things we need to work on. But one of the biggest questions for a lot of people is at what point does it start to feel more beneficial for everyone involved to separate? So I'd be curious to know what that kind of transition was like for you to the extent that you feel comfortable speaking about it.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, I think for me, um, there, you know, there's two people in the relationship and, um, if you're not having wide open communication, one of you could be, could have doubts about the relationship before the other. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, having that communication while the relationship is on, unfortunately, I did not have that, uh, communication in the relationship and it led to, Uh, When I realized our relationship was in trouble, I think it was actually pretty far in trouble. And I was a bit late to understanding that. Uh, So uh, with my uh, past partner and I, uh, we did uh, uh, start to realize that there was a problem with our relationship. We tried couples counseling. Uh, Fundamentally, um, it wasn't going to work. Um, and so I had a lot of guilt wrapped around that. I remember thinking, you know, I have everything in life, why I have a great job, great kids, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't happy. And then I realized that it was because my relationship was not a positive one. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was not, uh, so, I also thought to myself, and I laugh at it now, rationalizing, I just need to stay together for nine years and six months until my youngest goes off to university. Mm. And that, you know, I can, I can do this. I can stay together for this long, um, which looking back now, that is not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my kids. It's not healthy uh, for, in this case, it was my wife um so um realized that there was problems in the relationship tried counseling and i think it was too little too late i think it's bringing a garden hose when the building's fully engulfed in flames like there was just it, it might have been good if we had gotten to marital counseling earlier but by the time we took the steps to try to save the relationship There was nothing to save
0: right and you know one of the things that stands out for me they use the language of like you know it didn't work and too late and i know one of the the big things uh because you know i've talked about it on previous episodes that my wife and i we've gone to marriage counseling and we've seen people when times have been tough and one of the big things that i remember first session in sitting down and having the counselor just kind of say why do you want to be together why do you think that you're compatible and Are your needs, wants and desires still aligned with one another? And it wasn't malicious. It wasn't like she was trying to, you know, poke the beehive or anything like that. I don't even know if that's an expression, but um, it was to genuinely bring up these questions because ultimately, you know, we are always growing. Our experiences shape who we are, the things that we do, the things that we see as we navigate through life. And one of those questions that keeps coming up is, are we still compatible? Because we're always growing. And I think, like you said, if we are communicating, you know, the way that we navigate certain things, we can maybe stay growing on very parallel paths for long periods of time. But even, you know, the best communicators may come across a point where they're just not as compatible. What their wants are in life maybe just aren't the same anymore. And to, I think, navigate that without seeing it as like resentments, regrets and all that, it's a very difficult thing to do because we're human and innately, you know, we're all traumatized individuals, you know, hurt little children inside of us and we want to point fingers and we want to, you know, push all that out there. So once you kind of had that conversation with yourselves, you know, recognizing that despite the counseling, it's not going to work. Did you find that there was a lot of like finger pointing a lot of, you know, if you had done this, if I had done this, you know, all that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, there was a little bit. Um, uh, my relationship was not one that had a lot of fighting. Mm. Uh, it was, um, you know, a relationship, I believe, of um, innocent white lies that had us being entirely dishonest with ourselves mm. uh, and with our, with our spouses. I think wrapped in there as a parent, is a huge amount of guilt Mm -hmm. and that is a big clouding element because you can't separate out the idea of um you know splitting up and the impact it has on your kids right um so um i think it's a little bit easier the idea that um you know, relationship should only last as long as both people want to be in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to be in the relationship, then why are you in the relationship? But when you add co-parenting, the fact that you're raising kids together, it can be very scary to think of the idea of not being together. And are you not doing right by your kids? Yeah. Um, So, Unfortunately, it means that a lot of people who are raising kids together, stay together far longer than they should. And maybe intimacy has disappeared from the relationship. Romance has disappeared from the relationship. You're living with a roommate and a Mm co-parent, um, and, um, which is fine, but then, that can lead to affairs. That can lead to resentment. Um, you know, just letting that go and not the the toughest part for me was distinctly letting go of the guilt that uh, over the fact that not that the relationship with um, uh, you know the person my spouse was ending, but the fact that. That meant that my kids' parents wouldn't be together. That is where so much, an overriding amount of my guilt came from. Um, And that was the hardest part to let go.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you bring up some really good points. Like my wife and I, we don't have kids. But even when we were talking about separation, you know, one of the exercises that we did is what would this look like? While we're still kind of at a point where, where, you know, we didn't know where it would go. We didn't know if we were going to go down the road of resenting each other or what. But um, we kind of started looking at what would it look like to separate things? What would it look like? And even just talking about where would the dog go? Like as soon as you start shifting your mind into some of these things, like I think one of the things that we have to kind of recognize in those situations is this isn't going to be an easy process. There's emotions. There's codependency a lot of the time. There's all of this kind of stuff. It's not gonna be an easy process, it's a change, it's a transition, and anytime you go through that, there's gonna be a lot of shock to the system, but how can you try to navigate this in a way that produces the least amount of harm? And I think what you mentioned about the kids, you know one of the things um, that I've heard from a lot of people, because I went through a period of time where um, with the mindfulness work that I do, and I was running men's circles at one point in time, that one of the local therapists was actually sending a lot of recently divorced men to come and sit in on my, my men's circles. And I was hearing a lot of different, um, a lot of different stories, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about with the guilt and, you know, people feeling like their, their spouses are turning the kids against them and all of this kind of stuff. But one of the things that really stood out in a lot of the stories is if you're coming from a place where you're staying together only because you think it's in the interest of the best kids, or in the best interest of the kids, but they're constantly being exposed to a model of relationship that looks violent, a model of relationship that looks not healthy. That, in of itself, is is cause can cause damage and set a, a negative precedence potentially for the children moving forward. So, you know, I I think it's it's one of those interesting elements where. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I, I have to stay together in order to give the kids the best thing and sacrifice myself. But we want to model to to our children that taking care of yourself and doing what's best for you and your partner is healthy in a relationship. And it's our responsibility to model relationships too. So definitely a tricky area. So sorry to interject, but you know you you've come through that. How how does the next step look in? in okay this is what we have to do um so it it's
1: a really tough process um I can't um I remember thinking if only getting married was as hard as getting divorced um you do not realize what you're in for regardless of how you do it right there's Separating all your possessions and, and moving out if you're going to live in different houses, um, trying to figure out how you're going to co-parent, separating bank accounts. And you're doing all this work that would be really hard at the best of times while your relationship is ending. Yeah, and um in my situation, we even had a, a a marriage contract, what you'd know as a prenup. It was still a complicated, messy process. Mm. And um credit to my co-parent, and I hope I can get some credit for it, that we worked very hard um to um uh, try and continue to parent really well. Um, I have family where, um, you know, the, the process of splitting up, um, the kids kind of fell through the cracks. Mm. Um, and, uh, so are you making, you know, are you involved in your kids' homework in their case? um, Uh, their youngest got to high school barely being literate um, because this role of parenting of sitting down and doing homework with your kids and getting extra tutoring and right. This mass of um, uh, relationship chaos is taking up all of their lives. Mm. Um, And so trying to be a parent first um and um you mentioned the idea of um you know i think uh, somebody mentioned at one of the circles uh the kids are being turned against me mm. and uh, so my kids were 10 and 8 when we split um and we both worked very hard uh, my co-parent and i not to turn this into an adversarial system uh, so I a hundred percent back the decisions that my co-parent makes, and I know they will back up my decisions, even though I don't agree with them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and there's been times when, uh, my oldest has asked, um, you know, some, you know, can I watch this movie and I'm suspicious. Did you ask your mother? Oh, and your mother said, no. Well, then my answer is No. And you have to go back and ask your mother that question because even though I think it's okay for you to watch that movie, I am not going to, um, you know, I'm going to back up my co-parent 100%. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: So that leads into the idea very often there's a loss of control when the relationship ends. And to me, bad parenting is weaponizing the kids. Right. Um, and very often we see it, uh, and I think it's often a way of someone when the relationship is ending, trying to express control Mm. and trying to reclaim control over a relationship by, uh, using the relation, uh, using the kids to try to assert control things like, can the kids travel, you know, can they have a vacation to Cuba with the other parent? Mm -hmm. Well, you need to give permission for the kids to travel out of the country. Are you then delaying giving that permission because you're upset that their new partner is going with them to Cuba? Right. Um, And I'm going to straight call it out. If you are not acting in the kids' best interest, uh, and you're doing something for the sake of disagreeing with your past partner you're you're using your kids as weapons uh mm-hmm. to assert control over your past partner. and uh that is a very sad thing to be doing. It's not good for the kids. it's not good for you. You know, everybody just needs to figure out how to act in the best interest of the kids.
0: well I think it's it's tricky because we're very Clever individuals, human beings are very clever, and we can justify so much of what we do. so like I, I I wonder how many people are doing this kind of stuff where you know, maybe for everyone else around them, they can look at it and say like, "Yes, you're doing this, you're weaponizing your children, you're letting spite drive these decisions, but for that individual who's in it, in their mind, how much of it is well you know there's just already a lot of change happening in their life and we don't want to confuse them by you know a family trip with a new partner and there's so much inconsistency that i think we need to focus on strong routines right now and that that's going to be the best thing for them because they're acting out and blah, blah like all these kinds of things our brains going to create a scenario or a narrative that's going to make us feel like we're in the right in our decisions and that's really challenging because when we when two different people in their reality, believe that they are, at their core, whether it is true or not, working and acting in the best interest of the children. You know, this is where, you know, sometimes from what I'm seeing and people that I know going through this, you do need to get some outside mediation and get some some help going there. But I wanna back up a little bit, because uh, we're, we're jumping right into it. We're gonna get to the co-parenting and the nuance of all that. But uh, one of the interesting things, because I've, I've again witnessed this with a few different people, is, Um, we were talking just before we jumped on this call about like in-home separation. And I thought that it was in your situation, uh, a choice, but you said that the choice kind of felt like the system kind of made that choice for you in a lot of ways. I was wondering if we could actually speak to that a little bit because it is something that, you know, some people have tried and tried uh, in vain in home separations of that I, I know of, and other people have somehow managed to make it work for a short period of time or not at all. What was that experience like for for you?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, so in my situation, um, we split in December, in mid December, um, and uh, the intent was for uh, I was doing uh, a big portion of the parenting Uh, my uh, co-parent was in school Mm. full-time so uh, to support the relationship I planned to be uh, in the house until May um, when when they were done school Uh, and we didn't even tell the kids initially we were trying to navigate this on our own uh, and we didn't tell the kids about it until uh, March um, I was sleeping in the basement. The kids didn't seem to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so it was, um, uh, you know, it was March when we let the kids know, uh, my kids were upset, but they didn't really understand why they were upset. Um, because they were exposed to everything culturally about parents splitting up. I think um, based on a book, my daughter read, she was worried one of us was going to go sailing around the world and never see us. Mm. Um, you know, this is, uh, so it, um, uh, what ended up happening is, uh, there's two major sort of, I'm not a lawyer, but two major legal components. Um, when you parent together and you're splitting up and you're getting divorced, there's the parenting agreement which governs what's going on with the kids, where they're going to be, you know, who makes doctor's appointments, all of those kinds of things. And then there's the separation agreement, which tends to include the parenting agreement, which covers like legal separation assets. How do you, you know, uh, all the financial components. Right. Um, So um, in our, negotiation we didn't have a parenting agreement uh and i uh had a house to move to in may but because i didn't have a parenting agreement um if i had left and the kids were not then because our schedule is 50 50 if i didn't have a parenting agreement the kids would not have been with me 50 percent uh legally i could be setting a new precedence that the kids were spending most of their time with their mom. Right. And I could have lost some of my parenting rights. Mm. Uh, so I didn't move out when it was originally planned. Um, the This goes back to the idea that we all think we are doing it right, but ultimately – We couldn't come to uh, get a parenting agreement uh, hammered out until September. Oh, wow. So I ended up, um, I had another house sitting empty that I could visit on weekends, but I was still in the same house uh, uh, with my kids and my co-parent until school started in September. And that's by that point, we had a parenting agreement in force um and the kids started going back and forth
0: so that's like that's like nine months and i know everybody's different as far as this goes but um for some friends of mine that i know that um kind of tried a in-house separation one of the hardest elements for them was when their partners started showing interest in other people or even if they were or they weren't, it's where their mind was going. So I remember one friend of mine, he was saying that, you know, he would watch his his, I guess, still wife, but separated wife on her phone and the whole time just be thinking she's probably chatting with other guys and, you know, having these conversations and that should be me. And, you know, all of this kind of stuff like did in, in those nine months, did those kinds of dynamics start to kind of come up where it felt like. How do I move on when I'm I'm still right here in the same place?
1: Yes, absolutely. I was very I did start dating. Um it is kind of limiting from a dating prospect to be mm. living with your, you know, your ex. I live in my ex's basement. It could almost be a meme. Um so um I was very careful to uh separate my dating and keep that separate and very conscious of that mm-hmm. uh, so um it definitely caused uh pressure um i never brought a partner to the house that we shared um uh but i can remember one particular incident of uh, my co-parent bringing a blonde hair that was found somewhere in the house Mm. and putting it on my desk and saying, I believe this belongs to one of your partners. Um, and, uh, you know, being a, a point of contention. Um, I think a big thing is respect. Yeah. And I was very careful to provide as much respect as possible. So not, um, uh, uh, um, hiding any date dating that I was doing, being conscious about it, uh, communicating when I was there to co-parent and when I was not responsible for the kids. Um, and, uh, it's something that you have to provide and you may not receive in return.
0: Mm. Uh, well, I think like what you said about people weaponizing children Like in the same fashion when separations often take place there are usually resentments that have already built up to get to that point where you've decided that you're going to separate and labels and blame and all of this kind of stuff and i know in just situations that i've observed of people wanting to almost show and i'm not placing this on you whatsoever but people almost wanting to show like i told you i could move on I told you that there's other people out there that are going to appreciate me and like all this kind of mentality that may lead people to almost like flaunting it as well of like, yeah, I have another date tonight. So what? You know, I'm allowed to do what I want right now. And I think the key point there is, like you said, like, where are we recognizing that here's someone that you spent, you know, however many years, 14 years with that you respected each other. Obviously, you were together, the initial everything there, there there's love, all of this kind of stuff and now we're being just disrespectful humans to one another there's there's this this recognition of like when can we how long does it take for us to step back get enough space to say is this really in the best interest of of everyone involved because sometimes we even force those kinds of things to happen even when they're not in the best interest of ourselves well maybe jump into relationships or other things that we're not necessarily even ready for because we need to prove to ourselves that we can or or whatever and i think there's a lot of emotion that's tied up in all of that and and hearing that you can try to do the best of your ability at that time try to navigate it with respect and like you say knowing that that might not always be returned but to not just play the game of one-upping and recognize that you know someone has to break the cycle is really huge and i think that's that's commendable to uh to address at that point in time.
1: Yeah, um something I'd like to put in there at some point so I use the label co-parent. Yeah. Uh I don't use the label my ex. Mm. Um and when we initially split, she was my ex, uh, my ex-wife or my ex-spouse until uh until we got divorced. And part of that thinking is what is my relationship with this person? Mm -hmm. Is it defined by the fact that we used to be married or is it defined by the fact that we have kids together? And the thought experiment I would like to throw out there. um, What if you met this person, you had no romantic interest in them, but you saw them as a great parent and you decided to have kids together.
2: Right.
1: Right imagining that you don't have this history of having been in a relationship together. If you just took that away and this was almost like a business partner uh, and you signed up to co-parent with them. And we do see this happening more and more. Um, And I know a family that um, decided to co-parent, you know, he was, uh, he had his husband, she had uh, her wife They want kids. Uh, They made this decision um, and uh, definitely a very blended family. These kids have eight grandparents, Mm. Um, you know, so, um, you know, if you take the romance and that history of the negative connotation over X, Mm -hmm. this is my ex partner. And you start to think about this person as they're your partner in raising kids, how you treat them, I think starts to be very different Yeah, because um, you know, you're, it doesn't matter if you're dating someone, if they're dating someone, leave that out of your relationship. Your relationship should only contain those kids. How do you parent well together? Mm -hmm. Um, I was having a particularly, rough uh period of time particularly about how adversarial the divorce process in Ontario is Mm. and uh so my lawyer said uh you know this person's going to be part of your life for the rest of your life because you share kids together Mm -hmm. um and that really made me realize it was up to me to figure out how this relationship worked because I probably going to have grandkids someday. Mm. And uh so uh you know I'm going to be a grandpa and my co-parent's going to be a grandma and are we going to be able to be in the same room together? Um and really investing in our kids. Yeah. And so um, in some ways I envy people who split up without kids, because you can split, you can split the assets, you can get everything done. You never, that person is no longer part of your life. Yeah. Um, so you can have a clean break. Um, so it just means that you need to remove the elements of having had a relationship romantic relationship and all that pain and anger and focus on uh, developing a brand new relationship where you work to have kids together
0: Mm -hmm. Well, i think that's you know a big component to this is accepting that piece I, i know a lot of people who are going through this right now that still almost like have a hard time accepting that i have to have this person in my life but when the reality is you have kids like, yes, you may want it and it may be frustrating. And again, this is where we see almost like that internal child within us starting to throw a tantrum. Like, no, but I don't want to create anything with them. I don't want to have them in my life and all this. Like, that's that's all fine and dandy. But if you want to have any interaction with your children, then recognizing that this person is gonna be involved. And I know that's that becomes very challenging for a lot of people. Um, you know, people that that we both know, and things that they go through with their their co parents, and hearing things like, well, what do you do when you have differences of opinions in in uh, in the medical system, you know, we could we could use like current uh, examples of like to vaccinate or not to vaccinate or what about religion, when you have different beliefs on some of these things that people hold very close to their identity. And now it's like, oh, my goodness, this is all part of the reason why we didn't work was because we had such different views. And now we're trying to raise children together coming from a place where we're just so different. And like, I can only imagine what it's like to kind of navigate those waters with such different views. But it also, you know, I think of the children that we're raising and we're in a world now where we do kids are exposed to everything no matter what. Like you're one click away from getting anything that you want off the Internet or any exposure to anything. And uh, so seeing even the ways of doing that positively. Okay, well, you're going to learn about Christianity when you're over at so and so's house. And yet when you come over here, we're also going to teach you about Buddhism. And you have the privilege of getting all of this exposure and making your call on what you feel resonates with you and all of that kind of stuff. And I think, again, all of this can be handled from a place of respect. But it's just getting to that mindset of being able to 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 be in that.
1: Absolutely, uh, there's two elements I'd like to go with. Um, I want to come back to just sort of guilt over not being able to co-parent well, but mm. I want to push that off and talk a little bit about when you're separating, going to great lengths to try to set up a relationship, a parenting agreement a separation agreement, the actual situation to um, set yourself up and your partner up for success. Yeah. So, um, and it has to come from a place of respect for your other partner. So my suggestion might be if you cannot have a conversation with your your co-parent, with your ex, um, because it just makes you angry or it triggers you, you know, there, it, it could just, you know, err, it just makes you so angry, um, then ultimately, you should let lawyers negotiate <laughs> the, the the situation on your behalf. Mm-hmm. But even then, you have an element of control to try to set up your ongoing agreements and relationship to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, the classic uh, example is um, do you pick up the kids? Do you drop off the kids when they're switching households? Um, uh, The situation that we've gone with is um, uh, our switching happens on a Friday. And depending on the age of your kids, you, you have different possibilities. Of when parenting responsibly switch off. Uh, there's even the idea that the kids stay in one house and the parents come and go. Mm. Uh, if you're, you know, assuming you're not co parenting in the same, cohabitating at the same time, um, I, if, if money were no object, you'd buy a big house, which you would, you know, have a 500 meter walkway to your room and they would have a 500 and you'd have a common space where the kids lived uh, and a very spread out single property. Mm. Um, And uh, uh, so, but assuming that you're living apart, your kids are moving back and forth between households. uh, A very common element is I will drop off the kids at school. And then it's now my co-parents turn to be parent. She will pick up the kids from school. And that means I'm not going to her house. She's not coming to my house. Um, But then what do you do with all of their, you know, maybe their toys, their clothing, you know, well, then you try to have two sets at each house. Um, One of the things that we did is, you know, I have a garage door opener that opens my co-parents garage door so that I can go and drop things off at her house without going into her house, without ringing her doorbell, without, you know, impacting, I can very quietly drop things off. Right. You're going to have a lot of practical issues about, you know, they got a, a, a video game system from grandma, uh, you know, again, you need to let things go. They may take that over to the co-parent's house and it may stay there. Because maybe the neighborhood kid uh, likes to play with them and they don't have a friend that likes video games at your house. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of the practical things, the possessions belong to the kids, right? If somebody buys the kids a present, they can decide what house that present exists at, whether it goes back and forth or not. And that can be a matter of managing your relationship with other people in your family who want to put pressure, like, why is it fair that I bought them the video game console, but it's it's at their the other parents house? Yeah, well, you bought them a present, they get to decide what they do with it. Yeah. Um, so you may also be managing to try to get that level of respect, you need to set the tone with your family to respect your co parent.
0: Yeah, because everyone's going to have opinions about you know, situations, even though they may not have the full picture. Again, human beings, we love to give opinions. And one of the things that um, actually I heard from someone who's co-parenting that they really struggled with, and I'd be curious to get your take on it, is like elements around firsts. So you mentioned like taking a trip to Cuba or something like that, but how for some people that I know who are now co-parenting, there was almost like a race to do things with the kids first. Like, okay, well, I want to be the one to take them skiing for the first time. I want to be the one to take them rock climbing for the first time or take them to their first concert and all this. And that there's almost like a one-upping that happens within and partnership sometimes of trying to be the one that's making those, those memories with the child almost like Again, not thinking of it in terms of these are the child's memories, almost like you said, like how the video games belong to the child, but that they want to have those memories uh, themselves of what it's going to be like to be there when they experience something for the first time. And there are going to be some of those family moments that in your mind, maybe you built up to this picture of, yes, I'm going to be there with, you know, your dad or your mom. We're going to be there together because that's what families do. And we're both going to be there when you first do this. And then when things do go sour and it's like, okay, well, no, that's, we can't healthily be in the same room together. So only one of us gets the first and letting go of some of that kind of stuff. Were there any, uh, any struggles or any navigations there?
1: Um, uh, For us, it wasn't a huge issue. I think because we, first of all, our kids were a little bit older. So uh, 10 and eight when we split. So it wasn't about, you know, the, the first person to, you know, a lot of those first experiences were also different people. Mm-hmm. And if I, um, you know, this is something that we navigate in our regular lives is I have two friends and I want to go and see a movie. Well, I, I may because the schedules only go to see that movie with one friend and not the other. Um, we very much had the idea that we had distinct households, my house, my rules. And, um, so I tend to do things like scuba diving and rock climbing. Um, whereas my co-parent does, um, you know, a lot more cooking and baking. Um, you know, just, um, we are different people mm-hmm. and, um, I think if some of those are experiences are very important to you, it's a matter of opening that dialogue with, you know, if it's important to you to be the one to go skiing with them first, you need to express that to your co-parent and say, I'd really like to do this. The reality is, you know, I, I talk to my co-parent or text with my co-parent pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, and it's in, the the context of co-parenting um we've we do christmas morning presents together we've traveled together we do dinners together we do birthdays together as Mm co-parents um and we step up we do need to put have boundaries in place um but we're there you know this um this person is the mother of my kids and I want them to be happy and I want them to be a good parent. And uh so letting go of some of that, as you said, sort of temper tantrum, mm-hmm. but I you know, yeah. but I want it this way and um trying to let go. If you can't co parent to that level, I don't think you should feel guilty because it requires two people. Yeah to be willing to co-parent. And I often like to say, I think I do 75% of the work. That probably means I do 45% of the work. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So, um, you know, I dropped my son off at school uh, this morning and I'll pick him up after school, even though this is, you know, mom's week. Um, uh, So there's a lot of flexibility to support each other putting that priority on what's best for the kids.
0: Well, I've been hearing a lot about <clears throat> and learning a lot about um, parenting agreements based on, again, people that were coming to my men's circles and uh, people that are just friends that are navigating co-parenting and maybe not having the the easiest time with it. I'm learning a lot that I didn't even like think about before. And I'm sure this is a lot for people who never thought this would be an issue in their life. And now they're having to recognize little nuances with it. Like one of the ones that surprised me uh, that apparently is pretty common in a lot of co-parenting agreements is around like if a three hour window is going by where you would have to get like a babysitter or something like that, that the co-parent has first right to say, well, I will take them instead. And I thought about that and I was like, okay, well that makes sense but like i know i come from um a european household and it was very common when i was growing up for my parents to just leave me with my grandparents for a long period of time and you know it's a very common tradition that you want your children to have that just good rapport with your grandparents and if you go by the letter of that parenting agreement then it's to say well you can you could basically put a stop to a day with grandma and grandpa because anytime that that's suggested you could just say well no i'm going to take them instead And that's following just the letter of a parenting agreement but that's not necessarily like you're saying taking into consideration the respect um it's not taking into consideration what's maybe best for the child and it's not necessarily taking into uh, consideration the ability to build a bank of rapport in the in the case that maybe you want something that's a little bit flexible inside the parenting agreement or you want an extra weekend because of something, a special event that's coming up or something like that. And I think that's the piece is knowing we can just try to follow right to the letter of this agreement, but is that really serving everybody? Maybe it's in place and it maybe needs to be like that in the beginning because there's still a lot of feelings and emotions, but recognizing that at some point you're maybe gonna ask for something and you wanna have that bank of rapport built up where you can maybe ask for that kind of stuff. And I, I think it's sad when we see people not only just trying to uphold strictly to the letter of the parenting agreement, but looking for every loophole that they can find inside of that parenting agreement to, again, you know, villainize or or weaponize um, either each other or the kids or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh,
1: Absolutely. That I have that first right of refusal. It's, it's kind of moot at this point with my kids being, um, well, my daughter will be an adult this summer. Mm. Um, uh, So Uh, she's turning 18, um, uh, but very much, um, when I saw that I was concerned, uh, and actually the, the clause got modified in our case to say, if the kid, if my parents, the grandparents were coming for a visit, um, their purpose of their visit was not for babysitting, it was to visit the kids. Then that clause didn't apply. Mm. Right?, um, so I have the idea of my parents live in a beautiful lake town, uh, my kids going up and spending a couple of days with them and getting to know their grandparents and cooking and hanging out with my dad in the workshop and all of these wonderful experiences. Um, uh, so trying to modify that agreement, I do understand why it's there, um, very much why, why are you getting a babysitter? when they could spend time with me yeah uh of course i'll take the kids it's better for them to be a parent than a babysitter mm-hmm. um and where it can really get into a situation of weaponization is when a new partner is the one watching the kids right and it would be very difficult to not expect somebody to exercise that clause if um now the reality is especially if you have young kids you know, who's going to be there at the last moment when they're sick and they have to stay home? And, you know, like, do you have a support network of grandparents and other people who can step in? Um, so I think it's a matter of understanding why that clause is there. And very much as you say, if you build up rapport, if you build up credit, then hopefully. Um, you you need to put in more than you're expecting to get out.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a goodwill piece.
1: Yes, you have to invest a huge amount of goodwill and you get to the point where um, uh, I know if I just said, yeah, I'm sorry, I've had a really busy day, but could you go and buy groceries and drop them off at my house? If I needed that, my co-parent would do that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if they needed that, I would do that for them, Mm -hmm. though we don't overuse that level in our relationship. Uh, And there's there have been times when uh, we've had to be careful with boundaries. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm uh, a handyman. I can fix things and I fixed a few things at my co-parents house but at some point it becomes too much. I'm not doing renovations
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to figure out that boundary. Um,
0: How and long has it been of, actually since the separation? Uh,
1: I guess coming up on eight years.
0: Yeah. So there, I, I imagine there was definitely a journey even in that and getting to the point of, Hey, can you, can you get groceries? I've had a busy day and I don't have, you know, stuff to make the kids dinner and that kind of thing. Um, I, I imagine that's a journey.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, so, uh, little things, little bumps along the road. When I purchased the house that I'm in now, uh, my co-parent didn't want to step inside. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, that sort of vestige from the divorce and the idea that I had a new house. Um, and that took some time to go away. Um, uh, one of the more recent ones was during COVID. And of course, we had the idea that we have a um, uh, a bubble. Mm. And the question came up, did I have any other people in my bubble? And I immediately shut that down because I did not want to have conversations about who I was seeing and who was in their bubble um, uh, because that leads into the, uh, the dating side. yeah. And if I'm yeah. dating someone, you know, I, I don't want to include that as part of my co-parenting relationship. Um, and we were able to manage it. I simply said, I am, I am being responsible. You know, I'm being cautious of who I'm seeing, but no, I am not telling you what my bubble is. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, just those boundaries, um, it's definitely just pour more in, um, in terms of understanding and respect, um, uh, when you can and pick your battles. I love that term in that sometimes you'll need to really stand up for something, uh, that's very important to you. Um, a good mediator, um, and mediation process, especially it's hardest at the beginning, I feel, um, and, um, I also feel strongly in giving my kids a lot of independence, um, and to make their own decisions. And, um, so having that respect for the partner allows um my kids do say what they feel um and if they like the food more at mom's house then maybe I have to step up my cooking game
0: right yeah now there's so much uh so many nuanced components to this obviously and like you say some of these things are only going to be possible if you know your partner or your your co-parent is equally on board and then you know there usually uh is influence that comes in from when Even your co-parent gets uh, a new partner and what that looks like. I know for one um, couple that's a friend of mine, you know, like you said, with that right of refusal and, and all that, where it gets tricky is, okay. so it's your day to have the children and maybe the child is done school at three, but with traffic and everything else, by the time the actual parent would get home from work, maybe it'd be like just after six. Now this is larger than a three hour window. And so because it works within the the family or the relationship, maybe the new partner or maybe maybe even the partnerships gotten to the point where now this is that person's wife, which is kind of the situation that I'm referring to. So now their new wife is going to be the one to pick the child up from school, bring them home and be with them for that three hours and 30 minutes until the biological father gets home from their work day. And to have that be a point where, no, if that's the case, I'm going to pick the kids up and uh, you can't you can't have this day with them today because now I'm going to I'm going to have this or you're going to have to come and pick them up from my house when you get home from work afterwards, where not only would you want your new partner, your new wife to be building a relationship with your child, but there's this whole component to like the ease of the day, letting this all go. But again, you know, I think especially in the beginning, there's a lot of those areas of spite that still come through and trying to, you know, really make the parenting agreement work specifically for you. And then when you just kind of go through this cycle of trying to one up each other, of finding loopholes or sticking it to the other person, like I know one friend of mine that um, made a mention to, well, I know if I, if I'm, I have first booking a vacation this year. And so I get up until this date to book that vacation time with the child and I get a week with them. And then the co-parent will only have like a few days in order to give us their time. And if they don't, then they end up you know, basically surrendering their time with the child, but I know that they also don't check their emails on weekends or something like that. So maybe I'll send it just before the weekend so that they don't check the email. So maybe they even miss their time of booking vacation with the child and they miss vacation with the child this summer altogether. And I kind of like made that story up a little bit, but like those kinds of, of themes we've seen in co-parenting and with these co-parenting agreements, and it's quite difficult from the sounds of things to amend these agreements once they're made, the process of, of actually going through and changing some of this sounds pretty difficult.
1: Well, there's so my parenting agreement, I actually had to go and dig it up because I was applying for a passport uh for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want a copy of the parenting agreement. Um uh we haven't looked at it since it was written. Mm-hmm. Um that's so, a good sign, I think. Uh, well, when it was written, it was fresh in our minds. And then um, it's very rare that it comes up. If the relationship is rough, then you're trying to fall it to the letter of the law. Um, I I hate to be blunt, but on your example of you know the kids get off at three and uh, the parent is not getting home until six thirty, well, you might just have to get home at five thirty. You mm-hmm. might just have to change your work schedule, go in early right? In order, because the the agreement was written with three hours in mind. Mm. Um, or you can, there's a lot of informal agreements. Because um, ultimately, if it's not working, then you're triggering the dispute resolution process in the parenting agreement, which could be mediation, or it could be calling a lawyer. Mm. Um, and then if, if calling a lawyer doesn't get uh, an agreement between both parties, uh, then ultimately you're going to court. Um, and then you're getting in front of a judge, which is a waste of everyone's time. Um, going to court is the absence of reason. And that's that's a quote from a, a lawyer I've used, but it's true. Like you have an agreement, why can't you figure this out and make it work? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want a judge making decisions on this uh, because they're going to do what they think And both parties can be upset and probably will be with what a judge comes up with because they don't care about who's right and who's wrong. Their job is to make decisions in the best interest of the kids. Um, And they could ultimately decide on a completely different schedule that doesn't work for either of you and says, suck it up. This is what I've, I've decided. Mm. Um, So the best interest of your kids is, for the two of the two parents to come up with an agreement that they can both live with and follow. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, yeah, just trying to, when you're creating that agreement, really thinking things through and setting it up for success. We, we divided up holidays. We divided up, we talked about, Uh, religion Uh, we even have a clause that we're not to introduce our kids to new partners until we talk to the co-parent about it Mm. now the co-parent doesn't get veto but it's encoding in the agreement an element of respect before i introduce a new partner to my kids um i'm gonna have a conversation about introducing a new partner Mm-hmm. uh to the kids and if if my other partner said you know the kids are going through a lot of stress right now can this wait a few weeks
0: i would wait a few weeks right um, would you legally have to
1: it doesn't really matter you know like we <laughs> we have to make this work you yeah, could yeah. you know if, if there's situations in divorce where the lawyers have to come into the house and negotiate who gets each coffee mug
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because there's so much animosity. Um, it's just in straight an element of respect
2: mm-hmm.
1: to actually listen to my partner. So the example we talked about traveling out of country, if um, I shouldn't say, hey, I need you to sign this because I'm taking the kids to Cuba. I should have asked them a year ago saying, I'm thinking of taking the, ki- I'd love to take the kids to Cuba. What do you think?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if they said, well, you know, uh, there's a lot of violence in this country. What about this country? Right. I have to actually listen and actually take their input and negotiate um, and come to something that works for both of us. Um, So it comes back to that level of respect Um, and in big things and in little things this morning, Um, I got a text last night that all the Tupperware has disappeared to my house (laughs) (laughs) and every once in a while I need to get a whole bunch of Tupperware together in a bag and drop it off at my co-parent's place because my kids tend to get packed lunches in Tupperware from her place. Then they come to my place, then they eat before they go to school. So they're not Tupperwares. It's a one-way trip. Right. Right. Um, And it happens with socks, pajamas, um, so, um, you know, it can be a point of contention that the kids wear all the nice clothes. I buy them over to my co-parents place and they come back in, in crappy clothing
2: Right? Um,
1: <laughs> and all the good clothing keeps disappearing. Well, you just, you know, please parents figure out a way to manage this. Uh, and maybe it involves you sending them in crappy clothing, <laughs> right if the other parent might not be doing it out of spite Mm
2: -hmm. they
1: might just not think about it they might let the kids pick what they wear to school and one parent wants them to look good going to school and the other parent doesn't care what they wear to school um and don't do uh, don't attribute to malice what you could attribute to uh you know sort of innocent uh behavior
0: yeah yeah, no, there's there's a lot. And I can imagine there's going to be people that are going to listen to this and say like, oh, yeah, well, that's so easy to say because you don't know my my ex and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I I, I don't think um, anywhere along the line here we're saying that this is easy or that, you know, come on, like, how have you been struggling up until this point? This is just you should just figure this out, like recognizing there's history, there's emotions, there's all kinds of stuff like no two people are are ever the same nor is no two separations the same or the reasons why you did or any of this kind of stuff so we want to definitely acknowledge and recognize this but nonetheless like you said big takeaway is as long as both of you still plan on having the children in your lives you are going to be in a relationship you are going to be in a partnership it may not be a romantic partnership you know it may not even be one that you necessarily like but you are going to need to be in it so you can either you know, do your best to make it something that works and that flows with some ease, or just be miserable. There's something in Buddhism uh, that we talk about a lot, which is the second arrow. And the second arrow metaphor, it says that, um, you know, in life, yes, there's there's arrows that are cast towards us. Your dog dies, you know, these kinds of things that just hurt. And sometimes we can't do anything. They're even despite our best efforts, we can't dodge this arrow. And so we're gonna experience that. And we get hit with the first arrow but the second arrow is the one that often hits harder and it's the one that we cast on ourselves. It's the one that comes from allowing our negativity to fester within us. And what does that do for us? Allowing our our anger, our spite to take control and actually do more damage than the thing that's maybe even causing the anger. Because we know in our hands, a bow and arrow at point blank range can do a lot of damage and we know exactly how to let thoughts ruminate so that they hurt us even more. Nobody knows how to hurt us more than we know how to hurt ourselves. Um, so I think that's all great, great takeaways. Just looking at the time here, like, is there any last like key points that you would want to try to put out into this world uh, for based on your experiences?
1: Um, I would say trying to make that leap of faith uh, to, to be the first one uh, mm-hmm. in to let go and be supportive and give more than you receive in a co-parenting situation. Um, and even if they, your partner uses that to stab you, you can know that you're taking those steps for what's best for your kids. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, using that to reassure your decisions um, can be very helpful. Uh, knowing that you did the right thing, even if it hurts and causes pain, um, I think can go a long way. Um, yeah. I don't think there should be guilt over having a toxic relationship. Um, as long as you take those steps and work very hard to be a good parent and your kids will know, mm-hmm. and they will see that in you. If you just focus on being a good parent, and a good co-parent, um, your kids will will know, maybe not in the moment, but maybe later on, that you worked very hard.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of another Buddhist saying that if you try to give me a gift and I don't receive it, who does that gift belong to? And the answer is always the person trying to give it. And it's the same thing with negativity. It's the same thing, like you said, even if they take that goodwill and they try to stab you with it like you have that choice within yourself of how you're going to process that act how you're going to let it affect you how you're going to let it ripple forward in the way that you behave in the future because you can always maintain your own integrity and not let anyone um, shatter that difficult so difficult to do sometimes but that is your your choice and I think that's that's a good reminder. So thank you so much, Jeff, for for sharing everything with us here today. And um, yeah, and I think another way that we can help, uh, you know, change the way that this is this process goes and everything in the future is being the model for other people. Letting people see, letting, letting, like you said, when your daughter thought that you would, you know, separation meant that you were going to get on a ship and and travel for the next year, to be a model for the next generation, you know, to to see what separation can look like, to see what co parenting can look like, and hopefully this becomes something that, you know, if it if it needs to happen, that can be done with compassion as well. So thank you so much for for sharing your time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, And we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening, and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.